0: Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6. Back in the study here, wisdom that works. Our last message was a doozy. We talked about don't be a co-signer. It was spiritually transformative. I know, you still remember every detail of that message. I'm confident of it, it had a deep impact on you. But it's true, it's true that sometimes generosity can backfire. And so be careful about putting yourself in those positions. It's just wisdom there. Now we're in verses 6 through 11. Before we get there, I want you to imagine two scenarios, would you please? I want you to imagine that you have a child who is well-mannered, makes straight A's at school, successfully involved in all sorts of extracurricular activities, but one day that child comes home from school and begins cursing like a sailor. And in the process, curses at you, his parent. How would you respond? Would you think to yourself that since he's successful in many things, generally well-mannered and a fantastic student, there's nothing really to worry about here? Would you reason that this is just one problematic thing in his life? He'll probably outgrow it sooner or later. I'm thinking you most assuredly would not respond that way. Most of you would immediately drop everything to respond immediately because of a right desire to put a stop to that disrespectful behavior. Amen? Okay, imagine another scene. Same child, possesses the same good manners uh, most of the time, wonderful characteristics, Um, good grades at school, extracurricular activities, all that kind of stuff. However, they come home and instead of cursing like a sailor, you have trouble getting them out of bed in the morning. Consistently sleeps in, even in the afternoon if you even fight trying to get him up in the first place. And it's not that you have trouble getting him out of bed alone, you have trouble getting him into bed at night. Whenever you give him a job around the house, he's easily distracted, has difficulty getting started, rarely finishes a job to your liking. He doesn't curse, he's just lazy. How would you respond that way? Would you naturally respond as passionately and urgently as you do if your child came home and cursed at you? Or would there be less urgency because after all, kids are just lazy sometimes? Chances are high that if you're like me, you would probably be more concerned about that child's cursing towards you than you would be the child's lazy tendencies. But did you know that the Bible actually spends more time addressing the sin of laziness than the sin of cursing one's parents? But we don't often look at laziness that way. We don't. We look at it kind of like those, one of those respectable sins, right? Those sins that are not quite as dirty. Not quite as obvious. Not quite as consequential. Especially when compared to like cursing your parents. But Solomon wasn't going to make that mistake with his son. And while he's going to spend adequate time in the future, past chapter 6 of Proverbs, talking about one's words to his son, not particularly his words to his parents as much, but certainly he's going to talk about his son's words, he chooses first to address the topic of laziness with his son. Because I I think Solomon knew something that's vitally important when it came to the sin of laziness. It's this, that, that laziness is not something you naturally outgrow. Follow me. If it's not dealt with early in your life, it will follow you through the rest of your life that's why we see lazy and slothful adults all around in our society today and i'm not just talking like about the people that refuse to get a job and 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 beg money off of people i'm not talking about that I'm, i'm talking about good people christian people who go to work every day but don't really work i'm talking about adults in their 30s and 40s who, who still spend multiple hours per day and into the night with a headset on, sitting in front of a TV or a computer playing games with their online buddies they've never met. I'm talking about Christian husbands that make a vow to love their wives until death do them part, but put no effort into fulfilling that vow when it gets hard. I'm talking about mothers who want so bad to bring children into this world, but don't want to put the hard work of raising them right. I'm talking about church members who are consistently looking for a handout instead of looking to lend a hand themselves. Who are consistently taking and not giving, who are consistently spectating but not participating. I'm talking about teenagers and college students in our society who lack basic motivation to get their homework done and study for their test and get a job and prepare for their future. Hey, laziness is something we must deal with or it will deal with us. I believe if we're honest, we all have a little inner sluggard in us. We all have a little bit of laziness in us. We all have to fight the propensity to be lazy in certain areas of our life. And so knowing that propensity, Solomon writes to his son and he ultimately writes to us to give us wisdom how to deal with our inner sluggard. Now, if you're thinking, no, I go to work from 8 to 5, and I work overtime, and I'm dedicated, let's be honest, I'm not talking just about your work ethic. Because some people can go to work, and they can, they can work, I mean, very, very hard at work, but they go home, and they're lazy. And then some people can, can, can come to church, and they work really, 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 really hard at church, that they go out to their job from 8 to 5, and they have no initiative. You get what I'm saying? I'm talking about there are certain areas of our life where where we all have some type of propensity to be slothful. And so Solomon's going to teach us some wisdom. And guess who he uses as the main teacher? An ant. An ant. And he he gives us some good wisdom from this little critter. So in order for us to grasp that wisdom, I want to ask four questions. As we work our way through the text. Four questions. What is a sluggard? What should the sluggard do? What is the sluggard thinking? And where is the sluggard headed? Solomon answers all of those questions for us. What is a sluggard? That's what he says in verse 6. Look at it. Go to the ant thou sluggard. His audience is very narrow. He's talking about the lazy man. In fact, if you look up that word sluggard, you're going to find that it means this. Slow one. Loather slacker i like the way raymond ortland put it he said this what is a sluggard well think of the way syrup oozes slowly out of a bottle when it's cold isn't that frustrating this is the sluggard sluggish and slow and hesitant when he should be decisive active forthright his life motto is don't rush me he's lazy constantly making the soft choice Losing one opportunity after another, after another, after another, day by day, moment by moment, until he lies there helpless in his wasted life. The sluggard is mentioned only here in the book of Proverbs. It's mentioned a total of 14 times. and We don't have time necessarily to look at all 14 of those, but I want to get a basic understanding of how Solomon defines the sluggard by bringing out some of his characteristics in other portions of the Proverbs. And so here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want you to get your Bible out. I'm not going to put it on the screen because they're, they're found right here in this one book. And I am going to randomly call on people to read Scripture. You have no idea who you are. Young and old, man and woman. You have no idea who you are. Get ready, Jenny. My wife's going to be 30-something tomorrow. She's the best thing that ever happened to me outside of Jesus. Get ready to read the scripture. Here we go. Number one, the sluggard, Solomon says, is a procrastinator. Proverbs chapter 26, 14, Kelby, You knew I was going to you. Everybody turn there with them. Proverbs 26, 14. Just stand and read that nice and loud. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. And, 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 and even Solomon touches on this in Proverbs chapter 6. He's just saying a little bit more. I'm going to push the news one more time. I'm going to procrastinate doing what I know I need to do. That's laziness. That's the sluggard. He's a procrastinator. Number two, the sluggard is a quitter. Turn to Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 27. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 27. Thad Deaton, why don't you read this one? Do you see that first phrase? He roasteth not what he took in hunting. So he'll go through all the work of shooting a deer, but, but, but he, won't, he won't cook it. He won't do the work necessary to put the meat on the table. He, he doesn't finish a task. That's the point. The sluggard is somebody that quits. He gets started on something, whether it be an exercise plan, a financial plan, a goal in marriage, a a spiritual goal to read through the Bible, whatever the case might be, but the sluggard constantly stops short. Here's the third thing. The sluggard is a burden. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 26. Nate Varns, why don't you stand and read that one? Proverbs 10 verse 26. Yeah, this is what this is how the sluggard affects those around them. Vinegar to the teeth. You ever took vinegar to the teeth? Me either. Smoke to the eyes. I have taken smoke to the eyes. Like from the grill. And from a few cigarettes too. That's not good. Both burn the eyes, right? I don't know what vinegar on the teeth. I got some big old teeth so vinegar would hurt these suckers. But the point is... The sluggard affects the person next to him in a very negative way. How many know that at work? The lazy person affects the whole team. And it's very, very true. All right, let's do another one. The sluggard is an idiot. (laughs) I tried to be gracious. It's the most gracious word I could find. Proverbs chapter 24. Everybody turn there. You ready, Jenny? Okay, she said no. I promise she is submissive at home. Proverbs 24, verse 30. Brother Mike Dominguez, why don't you stand and read this one? You need it. Yes, very good. I could have said the sluggard is void of understanding. It just didn't go as well with the flow. What Solomon is saying is he's an idiot. You look at that in the context of the whole thing, and the guy's expecting a A fruit from his vineyard without ever putting work into it. He goes by, and and here's what Solomon is saying. He disconnects his choices with his consequences. He doesn't think through how laziness is going to affect his life in the long term. He's void of understanding. He's idiotic. He's ignorant. That's a sluggard. All right, here's another one. The sluggard is arrogant. Turn to Proverbs 26. I think we're already there. Proverbs chapter 26. Brother Kurt Deaton, why don't you read this one? Verse number 16. that verse is amazing to me he's wiser in his own brain than seven reasonable men if i brought seven reasonable men up here and had one sluggard man over there the sluggard man would still be right it's hard to talk sense into lazy people they're just wise in their own eyes they're arrogant people it's even hard to get it's hard to get them motivated it's hard to get them to go the extra mile it's hard to see them it's it's hard to get them to to see the need and take the lead right it's just. They just don't get it. Here's, here's, here's the last one I want to bring up. The sluggard is a disappointed dreamer. Uncle Rick, why don't you read Proverbs 13, verse 4? Everybody go there. Proverbs 13, verse 4. The sluggard is a disappointed dreamer. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Very good. <laughs> My brain is wanting to say so many things right now. (laughs) I'm just going to stick with the disappointed dreamer part. (laughs) Um, But it is true. The soul of the sluggard, it's not that he doesn't want to be better. It's not that he doesn't want a better financial situation. It's not that he doesn't want a better marriage. Not that he doesn't want a better walk with God. Not that he doesn't want a better testimony. He desireth, but, but it says that he hath nothing. He's a dreamer, but he doesn't have the discipline or the diligence to make those dreams become reality. Now, now I'm not going to elaborate application on every one of those because I think, I think they speak for themselves. I want you to look at that list, and now I want you to see if any of those apply to you. Does laziness seem to creep in your life in any of these forms? Procrastinating? Starting something but not fish, finishing it? Um, I didn't think—I don't think I talked about a rationalizer. I don't think we read that one. But making excuses? We need to read that one. We got to read that one. It's such a good verse. Proverbs 26. Brother K, stand and read that one. I love, I love the sarcasm Solomon uses in this. That's why I want, I want to read this one. Verse 13, Brother K. Yeah, you get that? That's total sarcasm. There wasn't a lion in the street. The slothful man makes up excuses, absurd excuses, for why he doesn't want to do something. You get what I'm saying? I could go off right there. I'm not going to, but I'm just saying the point is he's a rationalizer. You say, why didn't you get that done? And the sluggard will say, my dog ate my homework. All kinds of things he'll rattle off. It's always someone else's fault. There's always a lion in the street. And you look out your window to try to find the lion, and you can't find him. And so I want want you to see if a sluggard, if any of that applies to you, and here's the good news, if any of those apply to you like they apply to me, you're Solomon's audience tonight. You're who these verses are written for. I'm who these verses are written for. All right? So that's the first question, what is a sluggard? Let me ask you another one. What should the sluggard do? If you apply there to any of those, then, then what's the next step for us to take? Back to Proverbs 6. He says this, go to the ant and consider her ways and be wise. That's what a slugger should do. Go to the ant and let the ant be your teacher. Now, I don't know about you, but I automatically think this. That is such an indictment to the slugger. That in his character, he is inferior to one of the smallest bugs to ever walk the face of the earth. That in his work ethic, he gets put to shame by a little small ant. And yet it's this little ant that offers so much wisdom when it comes to overcoming laziness. And it makes sense why Solomon would point to the ant as the teacher when it comes to work. Because they say the ant is the most successful, most productive of all social insects, primarily because of its work ethic. There are 11,000 different kinds of ants. <clears throat> there are about one quadrillion ants today. You know how to write quadrillion on a piece of paper? You write the number 10 and then you add 15 zeros to it. One quadrillion ant. And Solomon is talking about probably the harvester ant, which was common in Palestine during this day. And the truth is, I began to study ants. I almost just preached a whole message on ants. Entitled, A Sermon on Six Legs. (laughs) Would have been brilliant. Six points. Honestly, when you study ants, there are so many unique things that they can teach us. But Solomon doesn't want to just cover the wide spectrum. He narrows it down to three lessons. He says, there's three lessons I want you to learn from the harvester ant. Number one, the ant teaches the sluggard how to take initiative. Look at verse number seven. Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler. So there's no boss ant standing over the others with the whip. The ants don't report to anybody. Ants have all the inner motivation and initiative they need to get the job done without someone overseeing them. Someone said initiative is doing the right thing without being told. Did you hear that? Initiative is doing the right thing without being told. And outside of personal integrity, I don't think there's a greater characteristic to have than initiative. Students, let me talk to you for a second. When you're in the classroom, I want to encourage you in the classroom to demonstrate initiative. That means when the teacher walks out of the room, nothing changes for you. You're working as diligently when the the teacher's in the room as when she's out of the room because initiative is able to do the right thing without supervision. Hey, if you're an employee... That I means you got a boss above you. Initiative means that when you go to work, you see something that needs to be done, and they don't have to tell you to do it. It doesn't matter if it's technically your job or not, or if it falls under your job description or not. You see the need, and as Brother Marlon Meisenheimer says, you get her done, right? I respect, one of my co- I respect all my co coworkers. They're great guys. I love Brother Sid's work ethic, personally. He challenges me a lot because th- there are, are things that, that I see him get done on a regular basis, and I, I got to say that all the staff members demonstrate this, but, but Brother Sid has the, the type of job description that he has on a, on a daily basis throws him into so many different situations where he could say so many times, that's really not my area. I'm so thankful that, that, that he's the kind of guy with the kind of character that shows initiative. It makes my job so much easier, and I think the staff guys would agree. It's just an absolute blessing. As a church member, let me encourage you to have initiative when you come to church and you serve in your, mission, in your ministry. Don't be on the sidelines as an armchair quarterback. If it's J-12, or if it's nursery, or if it's first through third, or if it's Miss Amy's department, or, or wherever it is, just look to go the extra mile. And what joy it is, right, to a teacher, to a boss, an employer, a pastor, a ministry leader, when initiative is taken. It's amazing. Sometimes the staff meeting will we'll be around the table and we'll rejoice in the fact that somebody took initiative. Like, man, they're doing so well at that. And come to find out no one really asked them to do that or really laid it out for them. We just kind of gave it to them. They took personal responsibility. They took ownership. And it's like, man, that is so liberating. That's how it should be for every church member, every employee, every student. The ant teaches us to take initiative. Here's number two. The ant teaches the sluggard how to work hard. Look at verse 8, provideth her meat in the summer. So it's the 4th of July. It's hot outside, but you're enjoying a great outdoor barbecue. And I'm already missing the summer, by the way. Hot dogs, hamburgers, chips, apple pie, peach cobbler. And you're stuffing your mouth and relaxing with family and friends, all the while the ant is working hard, crawling under your table, carrying off the sugar you drop to the ground, literally one grain at a time. And they do it all day. And they don't get promotions, pay raises, or pats on the back. They never get mad and go on a strike. In fact, they work hard to build an anthill. You go mow or sweep, and you just blow it all away. They don't throw a fit. They just go build another one. They just work hard. And Solomon is trying to tell his son, hey, learn how to provide for yourself. Learn how to take care of yourself. Work hard. If there's one thing I hear over and over, even in our own small community, it's this. How hard it's becoming to find hard workers. May it be said of those in Fellowship Baptist Church that are in the workforce in this community that you are a diligent, hard worker. Let me get specific. I want all the children, okay, all the children that are 12 and younger, I want you to stand up. If you're 12 and younger, stand up. Put them on their seat so I can see them if they're not, if they're too short. I know you're engrossed in your sermon notes, and I took you away from that, but all right. All right, everybody look at me. I want, to talk, I want to preach at you for a second. Every one of you, hey, if you're listening to me, say yes. All right, every one of you, you need to learn how to work. Watch me, and here's where it starts. It starts at home. When your parents tell you to do something, and you don't feel like doing it, work hard at doing it anyway. Why? Why, 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 Watch here, watch here, watch here. Because if you don't learn how to work hard for mom and dad right now, okay, you're gonna be really lazy when you get as old as mom and dad. And lazy people are bums. (laughs) Are you hearing me, Kevo? They're bums son I don't want you holding a piece of cardboard one day alright if you get to that point text me first I'll give you money so you don't have to do that hey I'm dead serious it starts at home and you work hard on the little things when they say pick up your toys pick them up when they say stop stop Don't throw fits because you didn't get your way. Work hard at being respectful. Work hard at being clean. Work hard at being diligent in your schoolwork. Just be hard workers. You may be seated. Parents, I'm not going to make you stand on your chairs. (laughs) Parents, we've got to train our children to be hard workers. That doesn't just mean you throw them in the backyard when it's 110 degrees and say, Get it done. Work hard. it's It's the little things. It's the little, tie your shoes. If your shirt's supposed to be tucked in, tuck it in. Um, clean your, like literally clean your room. Keep your stuff in order. And this is a constant battle, isn't it, Jenny? It's a constant battle for us. And that just proves that, that humankind is just born with this propensity to be lazy. And we can't let them get away with real little things, because because as they grow, those little things become bigger things. I'll point out a family that means so much to me in this area, and and, and before their mom and dad ever came to church, they came to the youth department, and that was Caden and Courtney Kessler. They they came to youth uh, just to try it out um, before their parents ever even came to our church, and, and almost immediately, right when they started coming, I noticed something different about them kids. Just, just a lot of discipline and a lot of intentionality, a good spirit. And, 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 and then their parents came and God led them here. And I'm so thankful they led uh, the Kessler family to Fellowship Baptist Church. And, and it's just kind of a, if they've done anything right, they've taught their kids how to work. They've taught, they've taught their kids how to be reliable, how to be dependable. That's why they get a call six out of seven days of the week to babysit kids in our church. <laughs> Poor Kesslers, take it easy on them. You know why, though? It's a compliment to you. It can be a burden, but it's also a compliment. That, that I can't, uh, there, there's not so as, I can't find someone as dedicated as Brother Caden is on the guitar. It's amazing. Every Wednesday night, he's the first one up there. Getting music together, plugging in the system he's developed and and gained so much more skill since coming to our church on the guitar. It's amazing what he does. His sister, Courtney, did the same thing. She's at Bible college. Now, I could just begin to do that, and and, and I'm pointing them out because it just stands out to me, that characteristic in their home, and I'm not saying they're perfect in every way, and they would never want me to say that or act like that, but this is one thing that I feel like they did right, And, and it's something I've learned that I want to do for my son, but you know where it probably started? Little tiny things at home. Little tiny things, not just throwing them out into a yard and saying, get her done. It's, it's teaching them the little tiny things. Don't neglect those little things. Yeah. Let's, let's go on to the third thing the ant teaches. It teaches the sluggard how to prepare for the future. Look at verse 8 again. Provided her meat in the summer, but watch this. Gathereth her food in the harvest. So the ant the is working today for tomorrow. Did you catch that? She's not just hoping life goes her way. She gets ahead of the next season of life before it ever comes. And the application, honestly, in my mind is just going everywhere. It's endless when it comes to this point. My mind instantly goes to financial preparation. Because most Americans, including good Christians I know, are literally living paycheck to paycheck. And, And please follow, this is important. And they're living without any margin at the end of the month. And I know sometimes we fall in hard times, and sometimes that's inevitable, and sometimes it happens. But I would say that that as many times, or even more, it's not because we're underpaid. It's not because we've fallen into hard times that we can't control. A lot of times it's because we just haven't learned to live below our means. We live right at our means, or we try to live above our means, but we've never learned how to live off 80% of our income. And so it's, you can get a raise, but then your lifestyle increases. I'm just being practical. And so then you're like, I just got a raise, I just got a promotion, but yet we feel the same strain at the end of the month. That's because you haven't learned how to live off 70, or how to live off 80, that, that, that means that, that, that depending on the job God's given you and the, 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 the wage God has given you and all of that, you're going to have to pick what kind of car you drive based off that. Off the 70% number, not the 100% number. Because you're tithing 10%. You're giving a little more percent for offerings. And hopefully you're giving a little bit away. And so you've got to learn how to live below that line. Do you get what I'm saying? And that's where most Christian, good, good Christian people are continually strained, not just in their 20s, but into their 30s and their 40s and their 50s and their 60s because they can't learn to have the self-control enough to just say no or not now. With every raise comes an increase in lifestyle. Got to be careful about that. I've thought about parents. We are the ones responsible for training up our child in the way they should go. And it's important, I, I thought about this, that, that a lot of times as parents, we parent for the here and now, right? And I can understand that, especially in mama's lives. Because they're just like, okay, especially those who have multiple kids, they're like, I just want to get through the day. If I get through today, and I start tomorrow, and I get through that, I'm, I'm a one day at a time mama. And I get that, and I'm sympathetic and sensitive to that. But in the long term, you can't treat parenting like that all the time. Because before you know it, they're not five anymore, they're six. And before you know it, they're not six anymore, they're seven. And then they're, go- and then they're going to school, and then they're in junior high, then they're in high school. And you've just taken one day at a time. We as parents have to start thinking in five and ten year increments. Not just, ooh, I'm glad I got through that day. Glad my kid didn't get ran over today. Glad I didn't kill him. We'll start again tomorrow. And in one, in one essence, there is a, a day-by-day approach to parenting, but I'm learning that, that things I do now are, are preparing Kevin for junior high. And then things I do with him when he's in junior high, we'll prepare him for high school. Things I do with him in high school, will prepare him for college. Things you're doing with your two-year-old, your two-year-old, we'll prepare them when, for when they're five and go to fellowship after school. Are you listening to me? And you, you, you've got to be very, very mindful that, that, that the decisions as a parent you make now are not just to get through another day. They're to develop character for the long term. I thought about in terms of our church what we could learn from the hand. You, you know, that, that, that Fellowship Baptist Church can never just think of right now. Pastors modeled that. Brother Landis modeled that, actually. I think it was in 1997 when Brother Lannis' health went down that he had the church vote well in advance to to make my dad the next pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church if anything would happen. To his health am i right about that something around 1997 and then in 2000 is when they they made my dad the passion the transition was almost seamless and now my dad is more concerned about the future of fellowship baptist than even the present fellowship baptist church and kind of simultaneously those things work together but we can't get so caught up in 2019 that we forget there's a 2029 and a 2039 and if god terries is coming 2049 That's why our children's ministries and our youth ministries are so vitally important. That's why we go through—I was going to say the struggle, but Tanner's not a struggle at all. It's why we actually pay for, go through the expense, the expense of bringing on a full-time youth pastor. Why we didn't want to have a long gap in there either between having a a full-time and not a full-time because we believe that that we should be able to take care of somebody well that, that is dedicated to helping the next generation of Fellowship Baptist Church. That's important. That's why when you serve in children's ministry, you can't think about, oh, I just got to get them through this day, get them the choir prize and get them down to their parents and then pray and thank God that they're not mine. It can't be that way, right? We gotta understand that these are future deacons. These are future Sunday school teachers. These are future children's church workers. These are future choir members. That's why we gotta think in those terms. That's why I'm so thankful now that I'm getting more involved with Fellowship Baptist School. I'm so thankful for that ministry. Because it's un- it, it is absolutely undeniable. I, I'm not biased when I say this, it's, it's proven. It's undeniable what the, ch- the, the Christian school has done for our church. It's undeniable. when when, when kids grow up from kindergarten to 12th grade and they are memorizing scripture every single week and they are singing songs and they are around the word of God every single morning and and, and they are influenced by Brother and Miss Kay, who have given their life to Christian education as well as monitors that have given their life to Christian education. There's just something about that accumulative effect for 13 years and it has done Fellowship Baptist Church so much good and that's why I want to continue to push Fellowship Baptist School and I want to continue to help fellowship back to school and I'm gonna to continue to fund Fellowship Baptist School and I'm gonna to continue to support Fellowship Baptist School and I want you to send your students to Fellowship Baptist School because in the long run that helps them become fully committed followers of Christ for Fellowship Baptist Church. Yeah it's not just about today you got you gotta put all these things together. That's what the ant thinks about He's not taking your sugar from your donut to eat it just today. Oh, man, he's going to save that glazed donut for the winter time. What's the sluggard? What should the sluggard do? Question number three. What is the sluggard thinking? Verse nine. How long will thou sleep, O sluggard? When will thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep. Here's what he's thinking. A little slumber. A little folding of the hands to sleep. Solomon asks, how long are you going to stay in bed? The sluggard answers and reveals his mindset, just a little while longer. That's his mindset. He's thinking just a little more. Now get this, it's not an absolute refusal to wake up. No, he intends on waking up eventually. He just wants a little more here's the problem with that way of thinking a little more now turns into a little more later how many like to use the snooze button want to admit that in church yeah i like it until brother andrew you know brother andrew he is the most disciplined person i've ever met in my life he makes me sick he acts like he's 55 years old and he's only like 28. (laughs) right he acts twice his age he is incredibly disciplined in all areas of life And, and, and i was complaining one day when he was on staff here about pushing the snooze button he pulled up this article on his phone and proceeded to give me a big old thorough lesson about how pushing the snooze button actually makes you more tired Tyler and I didn't even ask his opinion was just stating that I was just just stating that I'm a snoozer my snoozer set on nine minutes I push it at least twice and then the secondary alarm comes by way of my wife's shoulder, the lower part of my back, and I don't push snooze to that, I get out of bed at that point. That's funny physically, but, but I think that's what some of us do in other areas of our life. Every time God sends someone or something to wake us up, we hit the snooze button. It's not a refusal, we're not saying no, we're saying not now. Here's our thinking. We just want a little more. That's how addiction works. Nobody, nobody wants to be addicted to something harmful or unhealthy. It's just that they find it so hard to stop hitting the snooze button. They just want a little more. One more time. And some have a difficult time going through the work that it requires to be free and stay free. That's why some kids grow older but they never grow up. They remain a 16-year-old trapped in a 40-year-old's body. They just want to have a little more fun. They just want to stay young a little bit longer. That's why people get into debt and stay into debt. They say to themselves, I'm just going to buy a little this one time. I'm just going to buy one little lottery ticket. I'm going to go to the casino just one time and just spend a little bit. I'm going to start paying off my credit card debt. But in a little while, I'll do it after I buy the car I want. That's why some people step out of church or ministry involvement and they never quite make it back to where they were. They just want a little more time to themselves. They're just going to work the second and third job a little bit longer because they kind of like the money. They're just uh, going to keep putting things before God for a few more months. They're just going to step away for a little bit. But here's what's so true. When you step away from God for a little bit, it often turns to a really long time. It's why some of our children, get this, get this, they grow up to be rebellious because we let them throw a little temper tantrum when they're three years old. And we say it's just a phase they're in. We're too embarrassed in public to deal with it. And so we give them whatever we need to bribe them out of that behavior instead of dealing with it biblically. The problem with that is the little tantrum, temper tantrums at age three don't stay so little when they're 13. That's when they slam doors. That's when they roll eyes and give the silent treatment. That's when they punch walls. That's when they cuss at coaches. Because parents, when they were little, little tiny dogs, little tiny puppies, didn't deal with it biblically, but they turned into big old nasty bulldogs. And now you can't tame them. That's why so many Christian marriages are average at best, because one spouse keeps pushing the snooze button. One spouse decides to go to sleep in their marriage, and it doesn't matter how much the awakened spouse shakes them and elbows them and challenges them and shares their heart with them. They just say, a little more. Give me a little more space. A little more neglect. A little more selfishness. A little more time to myself. A little more time at work and away from you. A little more doing my own thing. I won't always be like this. I'll come around, but I need a little bit more time. And just like Solomon asked his son in verse 9, I'm going to ask you tonight, how long wilt thou sleep? What are you going, when are you going to stop pushing the snooze button in these different areas of your life? Are you going to have to get to the pig pen like the prodigal son did in order for you to wake up? Are you going to have to get swallowed by a well like Jonah did before you wake up? Are you going to have to let God take you to rock bottom before you address your inner sluggard? It's dangerous to think like a sluggard thinks. And here's why. Because verse 11 says, so shall thy poverty come, as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. What is a sluggard? What should the sluggard do? What is the sluggard thinking? And lastly, where is the sluggard headed? Solomon said it, poverty. Are you listening? Poverty means utterly destitute. We're not talking about simply falling on hard times. We're talking about being brought to nothing. And he uses two illustrations to picture how it'll happen. He said it's going to be like the traveler. What does that mean? Well, it's not just somebody that's on vacation. The Hebrew word means vagabond. It means bandit, robber. In the ancient world, there were these bandits that would walk alongside the road and they would attack and rob and even sometimes kill innocent travelers. And then he uses the illustration of an armed man. It literally meant a man of the shield. You study it further and you'll find that Solomon's referring to a military man of the light infantry division. The emphasis is on the fact that the man is well armed, but though he's well armed, he still moves with swiftness and stealth, almost like a a, a military special operative. A Navy SEAL of sorts. What's Solomon, what's his point? Here's his point. If you're lazy and you don't deal with it, poverty is going to break upon you suddenly with both overwhelming power and unexpected swiftness. He wasn't saying that poverty happens overnight. No, poverty comes to a man because over a long period of time, he's neglectful, he's slothful, he's lazy over a long period of time. But the realization of his poverty will hit him like it came suddenly. Are you following me? He'll make really bad choices for a long period of time. And he'll get away with it for a long period of time and notice no visible consequences for a long period of time. But it's like all of a sudden he'll wake up. To the fact that he's utterly destitute in that area of his life. And it's like, I did not see this coming. That's Solomon's point. That means you keep being lazy in your marriage. You won't be utterly destitute in your marriage overnight. But sooner or later, you will be in relational poverty. Because you didn't tend to that vineyard. The most important vineyard you have in your life outside of your walk with God. And poverty will not tap on your shoulder and say, hey, just want to give you a warning, I'm coming for you. Poverty will take you like a Navy SEAL. Takes its enemy in a special operation. You won't even know it's coming, but the fact is it's been coming and following you all along. Are you following me here? Same is true in your financial life, same is true parenting, in parenting in every other area of your life. God, help us tonight. God, help us to be serious about dealing with our inner slugger. Those areas of our life that we've neglected, that we keep saying a little more, that we keep pushing the snooze button in. God, help us to learn from the end. Get to work. So if God has addressed any of these areas in your life, I hope you'll be warned tonight that you don't know when, but if you keep neglecting this area of your life, you'll be struck with poverty, whether it's economical, vocational, relational, health-wise. See, we, over, we neglect that in a conservative Baptist Bible preaching church. We neglect our health. We don't preach on that kind of stuff. You eat like however you want. Never exercise, never do what the doctor tells you to do, make these choices over a period of a long time, and all of a sudden it's going to overwhelm you that your health is gone. And that's how, that's how it works. That's how the sluggard, that's where the sluggard's headed. He's going to be overwhelmed with, with destitution, emptiness in that area of his life.